Good morning, church. It is good to be in Wimberley, Texas, and even better to be in the house of God. So glad to be with you guys this morning. Aaron and I are excited about uh, moving this week. We are closing on our house in Buda on Tuesday, Lord willing. And uh, yeah, we're excited. And uh, we're hoping to close on a house in Wood Creek North on Friday or Saturday or whenever. We don't know when that'll happen. But uh, the cool thing is, is that I told Aaron that we could live in a van down by the river. And somebody told me that the river's too expensive. So uh, the cool thing is the church owns two vans and we have a pond. So that's close enough. So, you know, but anyways, this morning, uh, my name is Sean Sibbles and my wife, Aaron and I have been here since August 15th of last year. And I know it seems like a whole lot longer than that, but uh, uh, bad memories go away. Anyways, um, no, that's a joke. Bad, bad joke. Uh, we are excited about being here. This morning, we are going to continue in our eight-week series about the hope that we have in relationships. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the hope that God has given us in his protection. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. If you're watching online with us this morning, we're excited that you're with us. And uh, I want to point out to you your bulletin insert. If you'll pull that out as well, there's going to be some things in there that uh, I would love to point your attention to. So uh, if you'll grab that, we're going to be looking at some of that this morning. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be talking this morning about that God has hope for us in our relationship with him through the protection that he has given us. In some of your passages in Ephesians 6, it talks about the armor of God. Uh, some of it title it as Christian warfare. You know, I was raised in church. I accepted Christ when I was eight years old and... Uh, um, it's, it seems odd to me that, that a lot of people that, that say they're followers of Christ would not identify or characterize their life as a, a battlefield or a war zone. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of the thought that, that a life uh, blessed by God is somehow a life that is free from struggles and difficulty. And there's times that I feel like that maybe some people are, are spiritually, spiritually asleep and... Uh, I don't say this condescendingly um, because definitely, you know, I, I can't claim to understand where folks are at in their walk with God and, and how they're looking at things spiritually. But Ben Stewart's one of my favorite preachers, and he says this. He says, the pursuit of intimacy with Jesus is found in the context of adversity. And I know that that is true for me, that, that in difficult times and struggles in my life, that it tends to um, bring me face to face with an intimacy with my Savior that I don't normally dial in or, or recognize at other times. So this morning, as we, we look at this idea that we live in a fallen world, there's three things that I really want to focus on, that, uh, that we are in a real battle each day with a real enemy that seeks to destroy us. Uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God said that he's come that we might have life and have it abundant. The second thing that I want to look at is that the plan of attack from our enemy is consistent and, and somewhat predictable. In my life, Satan doesn't have to, to pull aside and figure out some new ways that he's going to come at me with new things. The same ones that he's been doing, 
seem to be pretty effective day in and day out. The struggles, the temptations that I have, he's, he's dialed them in and, and he, he comes after me with those same, same things over and over again. And so we're going to look at it for a little bit, just this attack that he has on us and, and how we can be wise and smart in that. And then the third thing that I want to look, the meat of the scripture that we're going to look at today is in Ephesians 6, just talking about the hope that we have in Christ and the protection that he has for us. So let's pray and we will jump in. God, I thank you so much for your love and your faithfulness for us. God, thank you that, that you give us your protection. Um, God, that, that you give us a hope uh, when we become followers of you, that, that you will be there with us. And God, that nothing will overcome you. Father, this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, I pray that the words that are spoken would, would not be mine, but God, that you would uh, lead us, give us direction, Father, give us wisdom as we live this life for you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In Romans chapter seven, there's a, a passage of scripture. It's, it's kind of difficult to read because it just goes back and forth, but uh, I want to read it this morning. It's on the screen there. It says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man am I, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. It sounds like to me Paul's talking about a battle going on, okay? Sounds like a war is going on there. And there is a struggle between our new nature and our old nature, between the spirit that lives inside of us now, the Holy Spirit that empowers us to honor God with our lives and the flesh that is set in its ways. Today, I want you to know this, that we have hope in Christ, that we have the protection that we need and we have everything that we need to fight the spiritual battles around us. I want you also to know that, that our fight is not towards some victory that is to be achieved but it is a fight out of a victory that has already been laid hold of for us at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's kind of a, a difficult thing to think about. So think about it like this. The only sin that you and I fight is against a forgiven sin. You see, when, before I had accepted Christ, there was no struggle in my life against sin. I was living in the flesh, living for me, living in sin. But when the Holy Spirit came into my life, when I accepted Christ, he saved me. And I was forgiven of all of my sin, past, present, and future. The sin that's in my life is a forgiven sin. When I was eight years old, I accepted Christ. Um, 
I was at First Baptist Church Richardson. My family was, was like I said, a, a church-going family. I remember one morning walking down the aisle, talking with the pastor and praying to receive Christ. At that moment, at age eight, past, present, future, I was saved. Someday, when I die or when Jesus comes back, whichever happens first, I will be saved. So salvation has a past, present, and future tense kind of ring to it. I will be saved someday. But in the here and now, Jesus is at work in my heart, and he is saving me day by day, making me more and more in the likeness of Christ. It is not something that I do of my own efforts. It is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of me by his grace that saves me. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is a verse that was significantly important to Aaron and I, Aaron's father-in-law, Aaron's dad, my father-in-law, when we got married, kind of gave us that verse on a plaque and we hung it on our wall. Uh, Aaron and I had struggled in relationships, dating, and uh, her father gave us a nail on a plaque and it had Romans 8, 1 on it. And it said, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. It's amazing what the presence of God does to free us from sin. This morning, as we uh, look at this backstory of spiritual battles that's going on in our life, I want you to know that, that between the relationship of God and man, there is an intruder in the relationship, an adversary that has come into the relationship. He is a tempter and an accuser. If you look at your insert this morning, this first paragraph uh, really talks about this intrusion in our relationship with God. And it says this, that, that Satan's desire, his sole desire is to alienate us from God. His attack plan has been the same throughout time. As the tempter, Satan desires to come into our relationship and entice us or to lure us and to draw us away from the trust and the, the, the relationship that we have with God. As an accuser, he desires to distance God from us in the belief that we are unchangeable and unworthy before God. The reality is that God is never gonna leave us or forsake us, but he wants to create space and distance that we feel like that there's no possible way that God could love me in my sin. God may do great things in other people's lives, but God's not that excited about Sean. And if God lets me go to heaven, it'll probably be a few thousand years of time out in the corner, and then maybe he'll let me join in with what else is going on. The reality is, is that that is, that is not the truth. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament is in Job. It's an account of scripture that... Um, We'll read uh, Job chapter one, six through eight, and we'll, we'll talk about it here in a second. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. This is in heaven that this is going on, okay? And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down on it. In verse eight, it says, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? This is where I do my Scott Weatherford impersonation and say, say what? <laughs> because there's a lot in that passage that I'm just like, what's going on here? Because 
I don't know about you, and, and maybe theologically you're a lot more uh, sounder than I am, uh, Jonathan, maybe you get this passage, but I don't like the idea that God and Satan are hanging out talking, okay? If I was God, I, there'd be some plans for Satan, but God is patient and he's working all things for his glory. So in the passage, Satan comes to God and, and they're talking. And the other thing I don't like about this passage is that God calls out Job. I mean, okay, God, if you're going to talk, don't mention me in the mix. Leave me out of the story, okay? There's enough going on already. But God asks Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Uh, and so Job, the, uh, Satan, the accuser, he questions the very authenticity of Job's devotion to God. He says to God, he says, the only reason that Job's following you, God, is for the selfish reasons. It's for selfish reasons because the blessings that you're putting on his life. Job's righteousness is called into question. Satan flips the tables in heaven and claims that Job's righteousness is not one that leads to a devotion to God, but rather is just a righteousness that is born out of a selfish gain. The indictment here, the, the accusation that he makes, I think is one that lands on us all. Sometimes I feel like that in my relationship with God, that my motivations are just out of what God will do for me, whether it's the burden of sin that's on me. And I just, I just want the weight and the guilt of sin to get off of me. And so I come to God in a, um, religious kind of approach that God, I'm going to make these confessions to you. And, and then you're going to be obligated to take these things off of me. There's really not any devotion in the mix. It's just that I'm going to say these things to you and you're going to release this weight of sin on me or whether it's me coming to God and saying, God, here's the wish list that I have, and, and I want you to endorse it, and I want you to get behind it, God. And so Satan makes this accusation that he's only in this because you've got your hand on him. And I'm going to let you finish the story of Job on, on your own, but, but the point that I'm trying to make in Job is that there is a battle going on, a spiritual battle going on every day around us, and Satan has a plan for us. So there's four things that I got out of my NIV Zondervan study Bible um, that I'd like to go over with you. Again, they're on the insert here if you want to look at them. You can think about some of them later if you want to. Um, but the first one is this. There are matters going on in heaven. There are matters going on in the spiritual world around us that we know nothing about, but that yet it affects our lives daily. Okay? And the second thing is this. Even our best efforts at explaining the struggles of life can sometimes feel and seem useless. Um, godly people will suffer. The New Testament clearly says that if any man wants to be godly, he will suffer. In my life, struggle has often refined my focus on God. Um, I know that, that there have been times in my life that I've questioned God. There's times that I was angry with God and, and question the events that took place. I question whether God was in control of, of situations and, and whether he was for me. And there was times that I just pulled away from God because I felt like that, that things were out of control and that, that he wasn't thinking of me. And that fourth one that's on your insert this morning is something that God has reminded me of over the years. And, and I hope that it, it rings true for you that in the midst of suffering, that as a believer, we should never abandon God, 
but that we should draw near to him because at least in that time, we can have the comfort of fellowship with him even if we don't have an explanation of why is what's happening around us. Sometimes the, the hardest place to be faithful in life is when things are going good. For some of us, when, when the battles are going on around us and it draws us closer to God and to depend on him, sometimes good times and easy times, the quietness of the battlefield can cause us to wander away from God. This morning, as we look at Ephesians 6, I want to encourage you that Jesus has given us the hope that we need in relationship with him, the protection that we need to fight the enemy that seeks our destruction. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 is, is the first passage that we're going to look at this morning. It says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul is, is in jail at this time. This is one of the prison epistles. He is most likely chained to a Roman soldier. Um, he's already written, obviously, the first five chapters of the book of Ephesians. And so this is kind of the final statement. And so it, it's, you know it's going to be good. And he says, be strong in the Lord. And then he comes back and says, and in his mighty power. He's, he's saying the same thing twice. Um, so... What does it mean to, to look like, uh, to, to be strong? When I, when I think about power, uh, a few weeks ago, I was at the state track meet in, at the University of Texas in Austin. And what an amazing day it was just to watch athletes of that caliber, that elite uh, distance that they had made on the track level. And um, it was pretty impressive to watch the speed and the strength that they had. In a previous century, I ran track. It was my ninth grade year of high school. Um, I set some records at Hayes High School in track that year. Uh, there was the, the slowest mile recorded and uh, the slowest two mile that year. Uh, when I was at Hayes High School and running my events, they, they found that the stopwatch was no longer necessary and they, they moved to the calendar to record the, the events. Um, these days, Two-day track meets are fairly common, I guess, with students. It seems like that there's always a Wednesday night where there's a track meet going on, and they have them Wednesdays and Thursdays. But I guess that was my own doing, because at Hayes, they had to go to two-day track meets to let me to finish the event that I was running. But I quit track for spiritual reasons, and uh, it's because of Psalms 28.1. It says, the wicked run when no one is chasing them. And so there's that. I Seriously, though, in Ephesians 6, he says, be strong in the Lord in his mighty strength. And so I want to look at this idea of what it means to be in Christ. And, and so I want to give you some homework today. I want you to go home and this week look through, just skim through Ephesians. You can start in chapter 1, verse 1, and I want you to underline in your Bible every place. If you're using your phone, then you're going to have to figure out how to highlight. That's fine. It's new technology, but just use the technology there. Highlight every place in Ephesians that it says either in him or in Christ or in Jesus, because it's defining a whole new place that we have in our position in Christ. Um, so let me put it to you this way. In my track days, I was super slow, but I have a truck that can easily go 70 miles an hour. So in my truck, I can go 70 miles an hour. In my truck, my truck is able to pull 26,000 pounds. It's pretty impressive to me. 
but I'm not that impressive. See, in my own ability, I can't run 70 miles an hour and I can't pull 26,000 pounds. But in my truck, I can. And Jesus says it like this. The same idea, Jesus says it like this. He says in John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you will abide in me or remain in me or dwell in me, he says, then you can bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Ephesians 2, 8, and 10, 8 through 10 is, is another one of my, my favorite verses. I share it often when I'm telling students about Christ. And it says this, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My favorite part of that verse is this. It says, when, where it says in the beginning, we are saved by grace through faith. The faith that we have is not something that we got by our own. I didn't wake up one morning and think, you know, I bet there's a God of the universe. And I bet that there's a spiritual world around me. And I bet that Jesus, his son, probably died on a cross for me that I could be in right relationship. None of that was just gained by my own thinking. God revealed those things to me and gave me the ability to trust in him. And he offers it to you as well. In Ephesians, it talks about in the first four or five chapters that we looked, that you'll look at this week, hopefully, it talks about where we are in Christ now. And four of them I really like. It says, once I was far away, but in Christ, he has brought me near. He, he's called me and he's given me a hope. He has marked my life and prepared for me an eternal inheritance. That verse in Ephesians, when I talk with students, I, say, I tell them it's like this. What if your parents said, I'll buy you a brand new Jeep. You get a new Jeep. It's yours. Okay. All you got to do is make A's on your report card. You know, James, if you're like me, that's going to be tough. We're going to have to work hard to get A's, you know, do everything I can because I want that Jeep. But if the parents went out and bought the Jeep and parked it in the driveway, I would be studying in the Jeep to make the A's necessary. Are you with me there? So when it says in Christ, we already have, it's already in heaven laid up for us an inheritance prepared for those that love the Lord. Man, that really identifies me in my position in Christ. The other thing is that I can approach the God of the universe with freedom and confidence because I am in Christ. Christ in me is stronger than Christ next to me. Let Christ rule and reign in your heart. Back to Ephesians chapter six, it says this in verse 11. This is the meat of where we're gonna be talking today. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Some of the translations say, put on the whole armor of God. You may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The armor of God gives us all the protection that we need in Christ to stand firm against the battles of Satan. 
The idea of putting on the armor of God here, when I hear that phrase, and Joe Smith mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, um, putting on godliness, I think when we hear that phrase, that we think of it like putting on clothing. And, um, you know, when it comes to a white shirt and a glass of iced tea, I'm going to be changing shirts many times in a day. Uh, Clothing gets put on and taken off, thankfully, because we can get it dirty quick. The armor of God and godliness is not that kind of phrase. We're not taking on the armor of God and then taking it off. When we accept Christ and become followers of Christ, we put on this protection that he has and we don't take it off until we stand before him in heaven someday. The, the first part of the armor of God there is the belt of truth. Now, this morning I'm not wearing a belt and uh, it's because we wear the belt of truth or it's because the belt got loaded up in the luggage yesterday in the boxes for the move. So um, anyway, it's the belt of truth is the first one I want to look at there with you. And and so let me tell you about Roman soldiers, what, what they had going. Again, I said Paul was probably chained to a Roman soldier there in heaven. They would wear a tunic in their entourage of, of weaponry and, and, and protection. And the, the first thing, this tunic, they would, it was a one-piece deal that you would put on over your head and put your arms through. And then you would gather it in and tie a belt around you. Because the last thing that you would want in battle is for things to be, you know, hanging out, to be grabbed onto or whatever. You would want to be gathered in, so to speak. I have a friend named Terry that uh, one day he was at a little league ball field with some guys and they were setting posts in the ground. They were using a tractor and, and an auger to dig the holes and, and he had a button-up shirt on, but it wasn't buttoned. And so it was kind of in the wind there and as he turned, it caught onto that auger and it, it pulled him into the auger and it, it took him a long time to get over the injuries that he got from that. You and I spiritually, when things aren't gathered in and tight in Christ and are just out there for Satan to grab onto, he's going to use whatever he can to latch onto us and drag us in to struggles. There's no shortage of things in my mind that, that, that my mind can wander away from Christ. Uh, I told you that I was slow in track, but man, my mind is, is fast in the prone to wander away from God. And, and the way that I have to, to solve this, the, the way that I am given protection to deal with this is this belt of truth that, that if I will set my mind on the things of Christ, then, then I can gather in and remain strong in the Lord. First Peter chapter one, verse 13 says it this way. It says, therefore, gird your minds, literally gather up the loins of your mind for action. Keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A lot of Christians that I meet uh, would identify sin in their life as kind of an oops moment. And this morning, I want to just teach you, show you that that sin is a process. Uh, We're going to put a slide up here, and I don't know how well you're going to be able to read it, but sin is a process. In our life, Satan comes to us with ungodly thoughts. He accuses us of things. He, he entices us with temptations. And those ungodly thoughts, if we allow ourselves to have false beliefs, then those false beliefs continue those ungodly thoughts and it stirs the affections of our heart. Our emotions will follow after those ungodly thoughts and we will 
have ungodly actions. But the opposite of sin being a process is the fact that this, that holiness and godliness is also a process. And so when we're talking about this belt of truth and and setting our minds on Christ, what we're saying is, is that we need to lock in on godly truth. We need to have the word of God richly dwelling inside of us so that we can lock on to that what is true and not be led astray. Godly thoughts in our life will stir the affections in our heart and the desires that we have towards godly actions. If you're looking for a line in the sand to say that I'm not going to sin and I'm not going to do that, the line in the sand is not in the action area. The line in the sand to be drawn is in your thoughts of what you believe and hope and trust about God. I'm going to give you two examples, and these are different than I shared at the other gatherings, but let me talk about money. Um, I don't know why I'm talking about this one, but here we go. Um, There have been times in my life and times I'm sure in all of us that we think and we feel like that money is ours. Our money is ours. Uh, But God's word says a lot of different about that. Okay. Um, When we walk into godly truth, the reality is, is that we, we realize that our money is not ours, but God has given us everything for the purposes of leveraging the here and now to make a difference into eternity. If you're trying to spend money wisely, you got to lock into godly truth that God is building things in eternity, that what we do here matters into eternity. An illustration that I I share with students is talking about, you know, purity and, and sex and temptation there. You know, a lot of times we think that, that sex is ours and our body is ours and I can do anything I want with my body. It's not God's. And that is so far from spiritual truth. Um, in my life, the, the reality of marriage is, is, you know, Aaron and I have been married 28 years this summer. Um, seems like 28 days, but, you know, 28 years this summer. Uh, marriage has been such an amazing thing. And God says that he created sex for marriage. But when we want to try to take things outside of the context for which God has made it, because we have ungodly thoughts and false beliefs that it's ours to do with what we want, Satan jumps into the mix and marriage can be a battlefield and a destruction zone if you are not locked in on the things of Christ. Um, For me personally, and I I don't know about you, but but for me personally, marriage has been the place more than any other place in my life that I have realized what it means to die to self. Marriage in my life has been more about just realizing the faithfulness of God to me. Marriage is a relationship that he uses to describe his relationship with us, the church. And God is so faithful to us. God is so forgiving to us. So the, the belt of truth, we gather our thoughts in our minds and we, we bind them together with God's truth. Uh, ben Stewart that I already mentioned, he, he says this. He says, I've never known a mature believer that does not meditate upon the words of God. And I've never met a weak believer who does. Moving on this morning, Ephesians 6, 14 says this. It says, stand therefore. It's again, this this idea in battle of standing firm. He says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
The breastplate of righteousness was, was this, this thing that soldiers would wear to cover their torso. Um, Romans obviously realized that, that the vital organs, your heart and your lungs and your, your intestines were, were in this, this torso region. And so they would have these, these breastplates that they would wear. And when, when uh, Romans chapter 6, 11 through 14 is a passage of scripture that, that I like because it really talks about this righteousness that we have in Christ. It says this, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. When I talk to students, I always talk about righteousness as being in a right relationship with God. In this passage of scripture, the breastplate of righteousness is not talking about the righteousness that God has put over us. So, so here's the deal. I told you that when I was eight years old, I accepted Christ. I was forgiven of all of my sin in that moment because of what Jesus did on the cross. God spoke righteousness over me. God took all of my sin and placed it on the cross and took all of Jesus's sin, which is none, and put it on me. In the book of Revelation, when John is there and he, he's having the vision of heaven and he sees the saints and God is identifying the saints, he sees them as those that have had their robes washed white in the gospel. The very way that God looks at us is he sees purity and righteousness that he has placed over us. It's in, in doctrinal words, it's called the imputed righteousness of God. And so Paul's not talking about putting on something that God has already done in our lives, okay? The second type of righteousness that we think of a lot of times is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is where we come up with a set of rules and regulations and ideas for our life that will make us good people. And so we live out of self-righteousness. God is not interested in our self-righteousness. And self-righteousness does nothing to help you spiritually in the Lord. And so what is this breastplate of righteousness? What he's talking about is walking in a right relationship with God and letting God speak truth over your position in Christ and not letting the accuser and the tempter speak as to where you are with Christ. When you realize the righteousness that God has put on you, you can walk in, in peace with God in that right relationship. The third piece of armor that we look at this morning in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, is the shoes that are put on the feet. It says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. A lot of times Christians will misunderstand what this, these shoes are talking about because in the Old Testament it says, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. It's not talking in this verse about us going and sharing the gospel with others. We're supposed to do that, but that's not what this is. The shoes described here are shoes that allow us to stand in the knowledge that we are with God and we are at peace with God because of Christ's work on the cross. When you are at peace with God, you have a strong, firm footing to stand on. When you're at odds with God, life is slippery. Life's questions and doubts lose their power when we walk at peace with God. When we were enemies with God, it was hard. But God has adopted us when we follow him and he has made us children of the king. 
as you and I live together in harmony and we try to live lives that honor God, it's essential that we are a part of a group of fellow believers that we can challenge each other and encourage each other in our daily walk. The next armor in the, the scripture here is uh, the shield of faith. And it says this in, in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith for which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So a Roman soldier would have one of two kinds of, of shields. A lot of times they would have a two foot by two foot shield that they would latch onto their arm and, and they would have a sword that, that in battle they could use this to knock away blows and strike. But the other kind of shield that they had, which he's talking about here, the shield of faith, was about two and a half feet wide and about four and a half feet tall. And what Romans would do is, is when they were coming onto the battlefield, they would march side by side with other guys that had shields. And sometimes these shields could lock together, or at least they could lock their bodies together. And they would have archers that would fall in behind them. And through the, the protection of this shield, they would launch counter arrows at the enemy. And so in this passage of scripture, he's talking about us having a shield of faith which, with which we are able to extinguish the flaming darts that Satan is launching at us. Satan wants to launch into your life and my life arrows uh, that, are, that are arrows of temptation. And so this, this whole thing with flames is, is that before the enemy would launch, they would dip the arrows into pitch or something that was flammable, and they would light the arrow up so that they could have further destruction when they would land on whatever the target was. Satan desires utmost destruction in your life. And then the temptations that he brings to you, he's never going to paint the full picture. He's going to entice you with some kind of desire, but the, the flip side is there's going to be a lot of hurt and pain and struggle to go with it. A lot of times as Christians, because of the devastation that Satan has brought and sin to us, we feel like that on our insides that we are consumed and just burnt up and there's nothing there. We've got to fall in behind this breastplate of righteousness that we can be at peace with God, that, that he will protect us. Um, Hebrews eleven six says this, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those that seek him. This, this faith that we're talking about here is a basic trust that God is better than the things that Satan's tempting us with, that, that what God wants is better for us and that he is able to do all that he has promised and that he wants to draw near to us. This has to rule in, in our hearts as we draw near to God. This, this morning, there's a passage of scripture in Mark chapter nine that I, I want to reference for just a minute. And, and it, I was reminded of it yesterday as I was doing final preparation for this. There was a crowd of people and, and it, it seems like it was kind of an unruly crowd. There was a lot going on in the crowd. And, and this man had brought his son in the crowd to try to get him close to Jesus. And the, the, the son had a spirit that it says in, Luke, in Mark chapter nine, it said that the spirit made him mute. And whenever it would seize him, it would throw him down and he would foam and, and grind his teeth and become rigid. And the father said, I've gone to the disciples and I've asked them to, to heal him, but they weren't able. And Jesus answers him and he, he says, you know, bring him to me. How long has he been like this? And, uh, and they bring the, the boy before Jesus and 
and when the spirit that was in this, this child saw Jesus, it immediately began convulsing and, and the boy fell to the ground and he rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus said to his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, since his childhood, and it's often cast him into the fire and into water to try to destroy him. And the father says this to Jesus. He says, but if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. And the next verse is, is interesting to me. Jesus says this, if you can, all things are possible for the one that believes. And immediately the father cried out and he said, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. For me, it sounds like this. Lord, I do believe. Help me. Lord, run to my unbelief. Run to my aid. Present tense, God, help me keep believing. Come and dispel my doubts. I know that in my heart, I want to believe in God. But at times, there's a struggle to put my full trust and my full faith in him. God never expects a perfect faith in us. But he expects to perfect our faith in him. James chapter 4, 7 through 8 says this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a promise that we can run to. The next piece of the armor is the helmet of salvation. In verses 17 and 18, they've kind of put these last three together. Um, the helmet of salvation. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. The obvious purpose of a helmet is to protect our head from injury. The fact that it's related to salvation goes back to what I said earlier about the fact that Satan wants to alienate us from our relationship with God. The attack that Satan brings to us is always against the security that we have in Christ, that he really wants what's best for us. Satan wants to bring us to a point that we experience doubt and discouragement that God is really for us. And it's a mind game that we struggle with. And this helmet of salvation speaks about the fact that in Christ, the salvation that God has for us took place at the cross and that God has already delivered us. And so this morning, I want us to pause and just think about what are the things that bring discouragement in your life? What are the things that you get to thinking about that brings discouragement to you? I know that, that for some of us, that, that there's times that we feel like we're on a spiritual high. And, and it would be amazing if that's all there is. But it seems like that for every mountaintop, there's, there's always a valley. And at every corner, it seems like that, that Satan is crafty and he wants to slip in and, and try to steal our joy. The fact that we need to be in Christ in the heat of battle at every minute helps us to put our trust in him and our faith in him to realize the, the place that we have in Christ because of our salvation. For some of us, you may be like me, that you get discouraged quite often from the exhaustion of just trying to live for Christ each day. Um, there, there's constantly a struggle in my world with the flesh every day. It seems like that my prayer to God every day is repentance and asking reconciliation over the same struggles over and over again, and it just gets exhausting. And you know, 
in, in Galatians chapter six, verse nine, I think about this a lot of times when I'm driving down the road that God says, let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season, we will reap a reward. I, I mentioned it earlier that there is already an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. This life is like a vapor. It is like this and then it's gone. Eternity is eternal. We will be with him forever. The things that we struggle with here are going to be gone soon. And we will be in his presence. The helmet of salvation of what he's done for us in eternity can protect you. The last thing I think, just some things we struggle with discouragement is, man, just looking around, the world around us. There is no shortage of sin going on in the world around us. And it is easy to just get discouraged that, man, are we making an impact? As a student pastor, it seems like that in sixth or seventh grade, students come in and, and you have conversations and, and they are totally on page with you that, that man, they want to live their lives for Jesus. And you, you're with them through the, the six or seven years that they're in student ministry. If they're students like me, you know, it could be eight or 10 years that they're, but anyways, um, you're with them for this period of time and they go off to college and you start to see them after they start coming back after the second or third year and, and, and their lifestyle is anything but what you talked about in those years of student ministry. And that can become discouraging because you're thinking, I, you know, we agreed in Christ that this is where we're at, but we wander off and we chase after other things. Man, I tell you, the helmet of salvation that we can never run too far from God. Aaron and I, as we were raising our sons, uh, you know, we just, we came to the realization that, that our sons were not ours, that God entrusted them in our care and that they belong to him. And there is no place that they can go that God's like, okay, I lost one. Where's he at? God is on top of it. He is the author and perfecter of our salvation. He's never out of the game. And so the sword of the spirit is, is the last one I'm going to talk about this morning. Um, a lot of times growing up, uh, people, we, we talk about the sword of, of the word. Uh, the sword, you know, was the, the Roman soldiers would carry a sword with them and, and it was kept close at hand that it could be easily reached for at any moment in combat that it was right there. The Bible is God's word of truth and, and it needs to be close at hand for us. But the thing is in this scripture here is, as it says, the sword of the spirit, you see, God's word is the sword but it's the Holy Spirit that keeps it close at hand and reminds us of the, the speaks truth into our life and brings to memory of what God says about our moment by moment situations. If I could have a wish, a desire for students other than students coming to know Christ, that would be my foremost desire. My second desire that I would have for every student is that God's word would dwell richly inside of them, that truth would reign in their hearts. The last part of this verse talks about learning how to pray, and, and that's an entire sermon series on its own. So I, I just want to say this this morning, that, that we have got to constantly be in prayer as we do battle, um, as, as we want to give God control of parts of our life, we have got to constantly be in prayer. If you don't know how to pray, that is not a sign of weakness. The disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. 
when we live our lives in, in groups and in fellowship with one another, we can encourage each other in things like prayer. And we can learn from others how to pray um, for God's will to be done in our life. Prayer is key to walking through spiritual battles. So Aaron, whenever we would go to basketball games with our sons, the, the, every up and down the court, she would always yell out to him, block out, rebound. It was kind of a phrase, just up and down the court. You didn't want to sit next to her because it was the same thing over and over again, but it was funny to us, and, and my sons grew up, recognized it. Another thing that Aaron said a lot was the armor of God. <clears throat> Aaron has been an amazing companion to me in life and ministry and a blessing to countless numbers of students. Um, First Baptist Church hiring me was a much better deal that they got her than the fact that they got me, but um, she's a blessing. But in every Bible study, bar none, every Bible study, she always circles it back to the armor of God. I don't know how she's able to do that, but she does. And so as I was preparing for the sermon this morning, I ran across a passage of scripture that uh, she didn't know about or didn't realize or whatever. So this morning in an effort to look really intelligent, I want to show you something about the armor of God that's really interesting. The armor of God is mentioned in Isaiah in the Old Testament. And so we think Ephesians, armor of God, but in Isaiah, written like seven, 800 years earlier, armor of God, Isaiah chapter 11. It's talking about Jesus. So here we go. Isaiah 11, verse one, it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. And in Isaiah 59, God's looking out at, at humanity and he sees the, the sin of the world and the fact that there was no justice. And in Isaiah 59, verse 15, it says, the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. It's talking about Jesus coming to do battle against sin, to conquer sin and death, that we might have eternal life. Jesus doesn't offer to us something else. He offers to us his armor, his protection, his righteousness. This morning, is, as we've come to this place, man, if you don't know Jesus today, if you're not walking with God in relationship with him, life is hard. And this morning, I want you to realize that, that Jesus offers salvation today, that if you will surrender to living life your way and put your hope and trust and that he has better plans for you, and that he loves you, and that he wants to draw near to you, this morning you can give your life to Christ. You can confess your sin and agree with God that that's not what he wants for you, but that he desires you to walk in holiness, and he will do that in you. This morning, if you are discouraged and you just want somebody to pray with you, over the struggles that you're facing. Maybe you're weary from the battle. There are gonna be people around this room that would love to, to stand and pray with you in the gap. And this morning, I wanna invite you to do that. So let's stand in a time of invitation. This time is designed for you to be able to move and, and move towards someone that wants to, to pray with you. 
Again, if you want to make a decision to accept Christ, if God is calling you this morning with faith to, to live for him, you come forward this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you love us and that you offer protection for us. God, thank you that you have a plan for our life and it's not a plan to abandon us or run from us. God, I thank you that you have conquered the enemy and that, that the accusations of Satan and the, the temptations that he brings our way, God, that they are empty before your throne. God, speak your truth over us today. I pray that, that your spirit would wash across our hearts that the favor that we have with you is not through the things that we do, but what you have already done for us. God, that you desire a personal relationship with us today. I pray your will be done in Christ's name.